this week's topic is cybersecurity. Yep. So um, this is the weekly tech talk hosted by Next Level Consulting. That's me, I see you, Charlie. And we got to the left side of me, hey, Lloyd, I'm aka Meep. Uh, Meep. Cool. Let's get into it. All right. All right. First section here, we're going to do an overview. So the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, cybersecurity, the definition of what it is and uh, how we use it every day, um, right. even if we know it or not. Uh, we're going to talk about the different types of cyber attacks that exist. We're also going to talk about uh, personal security because that's important because everyone uh, is a target. So uh, we have a section there for personal security. Next phase is enterprise security controls. Those are things that will happen in bigger enterprises and some of the controls they use around for cybersecurity. And the last thing we'll talk about is pen testing and third-party assessments. All right, let's roll in. You want to start it off? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and talk about what a definition of cybersecurity is. Uh, so basically, this is a broad concept uh, in IT. Uh, you might hear it uh, outside of IT as well. Um, but it's basically a set of uh, techniques and procedures uh, that protect the integrity of your network, your programs, and your data uh, from anything, from attack, from losing damage, or any unauthorized access. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about the different types of cyber attacks. So uh, there's really six that we're going to focus on today. Uh, what they are is do, 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 do. Oh, we skip past one uh the first one is backdoor so backdoor attacks so backdoor right. really is a back way into a computer system um using really any secret method bypassing normal authentication or security controls and what that means is uh you know a, an example of a really good backdoor is uh many years ago there was uh back orifice if you remember that one that was a big one that swept everybody. Yeah, and then um, oftentimes you'll have uh, developers putting code into whatever device or system you're talking about here uh, for convenience or for uh, ease of use, and then uh, it gets exploited later, right? And that's what a backdoor is. Sure, someone yeah. who might have written something that wasn't documented or wasn't uh, something that was planned, uh, but now uh, because it has been discovered, it is a threat. Exactly. So backdoors, bad things. Don't like those things. Uh, next one we have is denial of service. So you've heard of the term of DOS or DDoS. Really, it's a way of overloading systems, uh, primarily used through uh, the use of a uh, network to bring down a service to make it unavailable for both internal and external customers. So uh, DDoS and stuff happens uh, on the regular. Uh, it's probably even happening... Uh, to some extent, to even your home router today. So um, I run a, a open source firewall called uh, PFSense. The interesting about it is there's a bunch of modules you can get in. One of them called Seracata, and it allows me to see logs and it does uh, blocking of attempts of people from North Korea, huge amount of people, Russia, uh, China, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So, the, so the cool thing about this uh, 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 basically IDS system that we'll explain later is uh, it, it has a, a, a list of users and then blocks those IP addresses based on corporate things like Snort, other open source uh, utilities out there that log uh, incoming attacks. So right. uh, denial services are uh, happen all the time, a lot of time in gaming. You know, uh, I know World of Warcraft is infamous to have it happen a lot when they release new patches and things and updates where uh, some malicious group will go and uh, just basically ping the crap out of them until they uh, can't provide service to customers anymore. So uh, how about you talk on about direct access attacks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, basically, uh, any direct access attack is an attack where the user has broken into your data center or your location where your computer is and um, then either physically steals those hard drives, uh, which have your data, or copies the data, or introduces a virus into the system. So these direct access attacks are uh, attacks that have occurred because your physical security has failed, and that's what's happening and why uh, you're getting attacked, right? So right. that's the third uh, type of cyber attack. 
So it's really good that, yeah, you mentioned that is that although we like to focus a lot on the software and hardware side of things, uh, sometimes the easiest ways to exploit a company is really just through, the, through uh, their corporate building or data center. So, all right, right, let's move on. All right, phishing. We've all heard this term before. It's not that fun thing you do on the weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you don't do it in a boat. <laughs> no. Well, I guess you could, but yeah, not very easily. So really, yeah. what what is phishing? So phishing is a way to basically try to acquire sensitive information directly from end users. Uh, common phishing uh, hacks that happen, emails, right? That's probably the most common one. Um, right. People, An yeah. email that says, hey, click here. You need to reset your password uh, for this site or for your network that you're on. And it looks kind of like it's pretty real. So it makes people go, well, I better listen to them. So they click on it, right? And that's a phishing attack. Yeah, and I mean, um, they've, got, they've gotten really good, right? So I've seen like some Microsoft ones that come in and like they basically stole all the assets and images and font and everything. So, I mean, if you weren't even, uh, you know, even the subject looks good. And if you don't really even look in the header of the email, sometimes it's difficult to tell. Uh, that it's not right. a, a right uh, 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 email from that organization. So phishing attempts happen all the time. You know, a lot of bigger industry companies now uh, usually have policies where they'll start, they'll do their own internal phishing attempts, right? So they'll send yeah. emails out to a bunch of corporate users and then check a click rate and see who clicks on it. And then obviously you get your hand slapped if you do it too much and you might have to take security <laughs> training again and it's no oh, fun. Yeah. And then there's even more uh, sophisticated phishing attacks that are uh, spear phishing. Uh, that term is where you're going after a specific point, like a end of a spear. And usually the people that are targeted are executives or owners of companies. A spear phishing attempt would look like where they get more information about the end user and then specifically uh, write the attack so that way it looks like it's very, very um authoritative for that user. So that person's like, oh, this is my bank account uh, number. That's true. Okay, so maybe it is the bank sending me the information. So they click on it, right? right. And that right there is where uh, a spear phishing can really hurt a company. Uh, so another part of phishing is the information. So they totally. Yeah, it's good. Good uh, talk about spear phishing. And so it's a more recent thing than the previous phishing stuff. So, all right, cool. So privilege escalation. Yep. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. You can jump in it. Okay, yeah. Uh, privilege escalation is where an uh, attacker with some level of restricted access, uh, they're able to uh, elevate their access or uh, or their level of, of ability, right? Um, can um, A lot of times, they're not really granted the access that they need. So what will happen is uh, a hacker or an attacker will um, somehow get more access, right? Whatever that is, um, is their function of privilege escalation. So maybe what they would do is uh, give themselves admin rights on a box. And then those admin rights would let them do another thing, which would get even more rights, right? And that right. slow escalation of privileges uh, is what this uh, topic is about. And what happens is eventually their scope of uh, reach eventually might reach data that's valuable. And that's where uh, an attack becomes uh, an, an incident. Totally. And like, you know, uh, web apps a lot of times have this problem where, you know, you might be able to get a user account to, you know, anything basic like a forum or some other basic web app. And uh, through the, the manipulation of, you know, even sometimes developers put stuff in cookies and other right. crazy things, right, that they shouldn't. And uh, by able to get into the system uh, originally, which is even through basic uh, uh, authentication and getting into the system at all, they can exploit different things to uh, ele elevate that uh, role higher than they're supposed to be. So like you said, it allows them to get uh, critical data and data that's uh, valuable to the company. So um, right. let's talk about social engineering. This is a fun one. Oh, so, yeah. Social engineering is great uh, because it's uh, not terribly difficult to do. Um, I think companies have really learned a lot lately about social engineering. Um, you know, it really kind of comes down to the snake oil salesman, right? The, the person who's really good at talking and convincing others to, to uh, give them information. So really what right. it is is it's uh, basically the idea of to convince a company 
to either maybe say, oh, I need my password reset, but I got a new email, right? Can you uh, send a new password reset to this email? Or, hey, uh, uh, here's my uh, last four of my credit card number. Maybe that was something that uh, a, a person saw uh, at a, while you're in a grocery store line, right? Right. So uh, those things are very interesting where they basically allows... Uh, someone who's trying to exploit the social side being really nice and trying to use customer service as an endpoint to get in and get customer information by impersonating that customer. So, yeah, and they'll do like business to business attacks that way too, where they'll pretend to be a bank or they'll pretend to be a credit card company and then uh, contact. Uh, if your organization isn't ready to take a call like that, it could seem really real and you might be giving up information in a way you think is okay, but is just. Uh, basically handing it right to the uh, thieves there. Good point. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that are very difficult to fix because it's a human problem, not right. a not a computer <laughs> one. Yeah. All right, let's jump into uh, personal security. So uh, the biggest first topic is, um, I don't think a lot of people realize this, is that really uh, you are a target for hackers. Um, basically, the fact that everyone's online now you know, most households have an, an entryway in, just like as you would secure any kind of entryway into your house, securing uh, your access uh, in from the internet is very important. So uh, like I mentioned earlier about my uh, open source firewall that I run at home, my home lab, uh, I get attacks all the time. I think since I've been running PFSense for about two months, I've had over like 12,000 attacks. So it's a real thing and uh, it's pretty wild and it's yep. everything mostly port scanning so they're looking for open entries uh, on right. my uh, easy, easy wins easy, quick, easy, easy wins right so I actually have had things where I've left RDP open and even with a good password uh, someone was able to get in so oh, yeah. um, it does happen so um, it's really important to secure those things. All right. Yeah, for a little bit, I set up a honeypot, which was uh, basically a, a wide open SSH tunnel with uh, admin uh, username and password was the same admin. And it only took a couple of seconds before someone was in there <laughs> trying to attack me. And it kind of gets scary because you get to the point where you're like, I'm luring these people in to attack me and they're in now. So you don't want to make them mad. So I shut it all off. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not in a position to defend myself against angry hackers. Right? It's so, hard. Yeah. Cause if they go, Hey, this guy has some way in, then they're probably like, right? oh, I'm going to try really hard. Right? Forums talking about yeah. me. Oh yeah. You don't want any of that. Yeah. No, no fun. Funny exercise you did though. It just shows you how quick <laughs> right. it happens. It's wild. Cool. Let's talk about uh, how about our, why keeping our software up to date is important. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just like we said about backdoors, that's probably the number one thing, right? Is uh, backdoor is called an exploit uh, these days. That's what we're calling it. And an exploit is found almost every day. And and as soon as the exploit is found, you're working to fix it, right? And so. Uh, the vendor probably is fixing it in a software patch. Uh, they're well aware usually of what's going on in the internet and attack sphere. And so uh, your job as a consumer or a, uh, a business owner is to keep your software up to date. Uh, that will secure you the most and keep everything as, as uh, secure as possible. Any new discoveries of exploits can be protected by uh, be keeping your software up to date. Yeah. And, to expand on that, it's more than just operating systems. As much as we hate our, our Windows 10 monthly updates, you know they are kind of really crucial to get done. And but mm -hmm. this also comes for other software uh, on your PC as well. So oh, yeah, um, it's really important to keep all those things up to date. And even if you do it quarterly, at least it's better than doing it uh, never. So. Yep. Um, and in the IT realm, uh, be real creative. Think about anywhere software might lie. It could be on a NIC. There could be a firmware, right? Mm -hmm. um, there could be firmware on an appliance you own, or there could be firmware on even the um, the blade uh, switches inside of your chassis, right? So all those things, make sure your firmware is up to date, all that software. Think about Spectre and Meltdown with Intel recently, yep, right? So, exactly. I mean, it's hardware even, you know, being able to inject and read code on the microchip is pretty wild. So it really exists everywhere. So um, yeah, always try to do your best to keep stuff updated. So yep. uh, step three, um, enable uh, any kind of firewall security on your home router. Usually uh, by default, if you buy a home router off of Best Buy or Newegg or wherever you might buy it, most likely it's enabled by default. 
Um, sometimes you can set different restrictions. Uh, be very mindful when you do things like port forwarding. Right. Although it's great. Uh, also, yeah. Go although, ahead. Yeah. Although it's great to allow, um, especially if you like to tinker and have a home lab, it's nice to allow ports in. But just be mindful that now you have allowed a direct access into whatever system you're exposing. So uh, even like a, uh, you know, a, a server you might be running or you're wanting to expose uh, webcams, right? Foscams or any of those kind of home, uh, uh, home oriented, yeah. yeah, security devices. It's like uh, those things are notorious and they're all made in China. So although I don't say China's bad, but um, you know, there's always, there's been a lot of things that are found that are Chinese hardware that, that, phone home very often so all right. those things to be very mindful when you do things like port forwarding and it's just good to double check uh the settings on your router even on some home routers they have a section where it's called a dmz which lets you put a box on the outside of your network right it seems easy because everything starts to work then uh if you're trying to do port forwarding you're not figuring it out but that's super dangerous because now basically every port you have open is exposed so yeah, it's that, not, yeah. i wouldn't play with that it's a good point is that yeah, not even the, the port that you choose open it's like everything is open so even things that you were messing around with that might be at a an, a, a target now so mm-hmm. all right cool talk about uh wpa2 passwords for wi-fi Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so you want to make sure your Wi-Fi uh, home router password is something that isn't going to be easy for someone to hack. Uh, the thing is, is your Wi-Fi extends out past the walls of your house, onto the sidewalk, onto the street. Someone could be uh, driving by and notice that your Wi-Fi is a lower security level. And if it's not something like WPA2, they're going to be able to uh, collect enough packets to determine what your password is. Um, and it's really easy. Those are crazy easy uh, passwords to hack if it's, what is the other kind? WEP, uh, WEP was the notorious WEP, easy yeah, one. WEP yeah. was the big uh, one that everyone could hack really quickly. Um, but yeah, WPA2, it takes much longer. Uh, I don't think it's very successful. Yeah, uh, do yeah. you have experience? Yeah, the keys change WPA2? often, I think, is the biggest thing. So rotating. Yeah, with WEP, it used to be is that you could watch the handshakes between devices that were connecting onto the Wi-Fi. And then if you watch enough handshakes, you could basically figure out uh, backward reverse like the algorithm to get the password. And there was right. uh, easy distributions like Backtrack. And if you had a, a, a compatible uh, wireless card, it would put it in promiscuous mode and then you could be sniffing all your neighbor's stuff. So WPA2 is really super hard because the uh, password rotates in an insanely quick time. But it is still possible. So it's always good to have actually choose a hard password for the actual right. password you set. Not a short one. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about password managers. Uh, yeah, and th- strong passwords. Yeah, it's and great, strong passwords. Those really are probably the most uh, important thing anyone can do now that uses the internet to go and create accounts on online. Really, password managers and creating uh, unique, uh, strong passwords for each different site are super important because we always have, we always hear about breaches like monthly now, right? It was Home Depot. It was Target. It was, oh, yeah. uh, what was Sears, Experian, right? That was a le- yep. the latest one that leaked all everyone's like social security number and credit oh, information yeah. and everything wild. So um, really the idea of the password manager is, is that you install a uh, software. Usually it's like a browser extension. So something like in Chrome or Firefox or whatever browser you use. And basically what it does is you create a password, a, a really hard password that you hopefully secure well. Um, and what happens is that when you go to sites and create uh, accounts for sites, uh, it usually adds a little thing in the text field for where the password goes and goes, uh, you click on the icon and it generates a super long password. And the cool right. thing about that is what that does is then when you create the account, it actually logs that username and password into the cloud service that you use. So I use uh, LastPass. I know there's, you know, there's KeyPass. What's the crazy yep. one that you use, the open source one that's pretty cool? Yeah, KeyPass yeah, is key pass. the one I'm using. The the big concept about password managers is that you're going to remember one very long password, right? And the idea is that the longer the password is, the harder it is to hack the password and, and identify it. So if you have a super long password and then remember that password to unlock your password manager, then the following step is that all the passwords in password manager could be even more complex, right? So they could be unknown to you. You right. can just generate them, 
on the fly. And in fact, um, some of them, some of these password manager tools, as you use them, you might not even uh, write down the password. You're not even going to do anything where you'll touch it. You're just going to see it go in the field and yeah. then it gets added <laughs> down below. And and it's like 24 characters. Yeah, so exactly. we're not talking short. And so this is great because... Um, if a, if a site gets hacked specifically, that site's password gets hacked, we don't care because at least that one site is hacked. Nobody's going out and, and getting all your information from other websites because they have your password you're using online, right? right. Each site is unique and then each site is super strong too. So, and like, uh, you know, if you're concerned about if you haven't been doing this, because I mean, for years I did the same as most people did, is I use the same password across everything. And, right. um, you know, I think it was like pwn.com or something like that is a, uh, an interesting site where you can go in and you actually put your password in that you use and it will tell you like what breach it was found in and how often it's shown up and it like searches the dark web and really cool things. So they always promise they don't log. So any password you put in there, they don't try to associate that with you at all. But, um, it's a really interesting site to go in and, uh, see yeah, if, I've seen the one where you can look up via your email address to yep. see if they know what your password is for your email address, and then it'll show you what they think it is, because all those dark web databases are easily uh, found and, and indexed, right? So, totally. Um, it's not necessarily the freshest data, right? The freshest data is not going to be on a site where you can see if you're uh, breached or not. So the stance you should always take is that you have been breached. Right. Cool. So uh, number six is never leave your devices unattended. So this is a basic one. We won't go much into it. Don't leave your laptop unlocked around at a coffee shop. Don't leave your phone unlocked around uh, anywhere uh, that you're not uh, safe of who is around you. So right. basic things, just don't be mindful of what you're doing and don't leave stuff unattended. All right. How about you do number seven? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of times uh, you might have your phone uh, with a swipe or something uh, in, in that nature, which is super easy. I would suggest to go away from that, um, start with maybe even a more complicated pattern, um, and then maybe even move to like a pin or a password. Um, a lot of times, um, if your mobile device is uh, something very valuable, like for your company, they're going to force you to uh, type a pin in every time, right? Right. And I mean, even uh, when you, if you ever look at a phone under light <laughs> and someone has a, a, a swipe style unlock thing, it's not very difficult to see the pattern that's common on the screen. So right. um, it yeah, really the, is important. Oil left by yeah. the finger. Totally. Yeah, it's really easy even to see the direction of the swipe. Uh, because you can look very closely at the way the oil's laid down. It's not perfect, right? And it, that's why if your swipe's just a little more complicated, then uh, it'll be a better situation than like a, 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 a right turn or a check mark, right? Yeah, exactly. And like for me, I, I it's very important that I use a pin because really I have the password manager I use on my browser on my phone so I can access all my things. So basically the master key of everything I have is uh, associated on my phone. So it's very important to try to can and keep that stuff secured because really it's probably the most commonly used uh, computer in the world now, right? So it probably has stuff right. that you don't want to get out. All right, number eight is use antivirus. So always the best thing to try to do is don't download crap and attachments from emails of people you don't know. Don't try to download uh, things online like cracks or wares or any of those stuff because most of the time it's going to be loaded full of crap, right? So... Uh, antivirus is important. Really, if you have Windows 10, Windows Defender is probably good enough. Um, I I think that if you uh, are someone who's concerned and you do some more riskier things online, um, you know, get a copy of Malwarebytes. It's a really good, right. they have a free version. Run that thing. I think it, you can set up a schedule to run weekly or daily or whatever. It's a good yep. one that help will delete cookies and other nasty things that could be on your machine. So really, if you're yeah, using, my yeah. My advice for antivirus software is go out, find the sale at Best Buy or Fry's Electronics or Comp Uware, uh, wherever you're going. <laughs> um, whatever is the flavor of the day, I swear, of antivirus, definitely stay away from the bigger names. Just go with the more popular underdogs, right? Because right. antivirus software is one of those notorious industries where the bigger you get, the worse it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's almost impossible for an actor or a, a business, I mean, to not 
uh, become evil, right? So right. Um, they uh, start out really easy and really great, uh, like a vast. Or uh, I'm trying to think. There's so many old Kr- old Kr- ones. Kropersky or Kropersky yeah, or whatever, right? I used to yeah. totally suggest people get them, but the the fact of the matter is like something like uh, um, what's the latest ones that are out there right now, right? Um, that's what I would suggest. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, most part. Search, yeah, you search for deals. You're looking for things like nine nine cents for it. Free um, stuff. I mean, there's plenty of free, free ones too. Free yeah. for a year, that kind of thing. So a lot of things um, too is like just don't do stupid stuff online, and most likely, yeah, like I said, definitely things like Bitdefender. Yeah, Windows Defender is built in. You know. It's pretty good. It blocks most of the crap. So just don't do stupid things. That's my biggest thing about antivirus. Oh yeah. Don't do stupid. <laughs> All right. Number nine is back up your data offsite. So uh, any kind of data you have, tax returns. I mean, I file all my stuff online now. You know, I have uh, most of my receipts I digitize. All those kind of things you got to think about from a security standpoint. It's just like anything else you have in your house. If someone breaks in, you don't want them taking your TV, much less your tax records, right? So mm-hmm. anything you can do to get that stuff um, securely uh, backed up to the cloud in case you have a fire or anything else. It's really good to get that stuff off site. So um, just set up a job, you know, you know, with like OneDrive or uh, Dropbox. I mean, they all have what free tiers, probably up to five gigs now or whatever. So um, it's a lot of data really for what, if you only want to back up kind of file based stuff, trying to do all your photos, not so much. But if you're trying to do uh, personal documents, uh, the cloud's a good place to put them offsite. All right. Cool. Yes. All right. So let's move along here. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll talk let's about uh, enterprise security controls. All right. We'll Excellent. be back in a few. All right. Welcome back. Hey. We got enterprise security controls now. All right. All right, let me see if I can't uh, make you not so ghostly. It is spooky tober, so I mean, <laughs> spooky tober. Yeah, <laughs> it's not too bad, yeah. but I bet we can get a little better here. Go ahead and start. Uh, uh, you start talking, and I'll start uh, messing okay. with stuff. So yeah, so um, we're over here at um, enterprise security controls. Yeah, so there's lots of different uh, things that make up enterprise security, right? So firewalls are the number one thing, uh, firewalls and firewall zones. Uh, basically what a firewall is, is all traffic flows through it. Uh, it checks all the traffic against a set of rules in a table. And if the traffic is allowed, it lets the traffic through. If the traffic is denied, it, it actually takes the packet and drops it into the ether. It never to be seen again, right? And so that's uh, firewalls. So um, these are the way that uh, you can prevent uh, people from uh, crossing into your zones, into your uh, network, and then from uh, leaving as well. Right, yeah. So things like ACLs are common terms on firewalls, right? Right. Access control lists, those are the rules you set up that basically d- dictate uh, what traffic is allowed through, what la- traffic is not allowed through. Um, all those things uh, happen on the firewall, right? So really, the two types of firewalls most commonly used are uh, the firewalls even on your home router, which is software that controls, like we talked about, the ingress and outgress of the traffic through your uh, initial uh, point of your network. And then there's host-based firewalls. So host-based firewalls are things like uh, Windows Firewall, right? Things that run on the host that uh, also do the same things that firewalls do, but more granular at, in this aspect that you can almost even control applications, what they can do in and out. So right. those are the biggest things. Firewall um, usually is the first line of defense of any home or business uh, from uh, things, baddies on the internet, most likely. So Exactly. Cool. Bad actors. Bad actors. <laughs> All right. Next thing we're going to so, talk about. Uh, uh, you want to keep going or you want to jump to the next yeah. one? Let's jump to the next one here, VPNs. Cool. So what is a VPN? Uh, basically, uh, VPN is a virtual private network. Uh, think of a VPN like uh, uh, a, a secure hallway. Uh, that connects two of your secure offices, right? And any of the files in one office now can go down the hallway to the other office, and uh, they can they can freely travel back and forth 
but no one else has access to this hallway. Uh, there's no doors on it on either end. There's only the door from one office to the other. I just made that up. It sounds really good. <laughs> it's like a tin can, right? Tin can of string. Oh, another, that's yeah. even better. Yeah, <laughs> tinker with the string. Another one. I like it. Yeah. Um, and all these are basically um, encrypted uh, on both ends uh, with a key uh, that is shared. And the way that they do this encryption makes it very, very secure. Uh, VPN is one of the most secure kinds of ways to access uh, from the outside. So they always set people up in corporate America here with VPNs all the time. Right. So yeah, basically VPN is a lot like you're at your work, right? You're directly connected to the LAN. Basically just a way of encapsulating traffic across a public space, most commonly the internet, right? So that's a way for all that traffic to be encrypted, can't be snooped on, and uh, you get all the security and functionality and management like you do as if you were on your own uh, private network. And, you know, homes can have VPNs too. So if you ever get adventurous and you want to be able to have things like uh, webcams, right? Um, I have cameras around my home. Uh, I used to have them port forwarded outside. That was a big no-no. You shouldn't do that. Um, so if, you, uh, if you're adventurous, you can buy a router that can do open source software. A lot of great um, firmware is out there from, you know, Asus has Merlin, there's mm -hmm. DDWRT, a lot of great uh, ones. If you look on those sites for uh, custom home router firmware, a lot of times you can yeah. get them uh, installed on routers and then they run OpenVPN. So it's a really easy way where it generates a cert or a password and basically allows you, even on your phone, to be able to uh, directly connect to your home network, right? Uh, traveling through the internet um, through a private pipe that you run at home. So it allows me to go and see all my things at home without the fear of those things being exposed to the internet. So VPNs right. are crucial and can be used by everybody. So um, I know a big thing too is VPNs now with uh, net neutrality, right? That's a big one. Um, ISPs can really have a lot more ability to like sell your information. I think that's one of the big things, right? They can see your, 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 uh, your habits of where you go to online and actually harvest that data for sale now. So um, VPNs like uh, Tunnel Bear, and there's a bunch of them out there that a lot of people are starting to use. To, right, uh, from oh, a home perspective, yeah. just surfing out to whatever site they want to see. This way, it actually makes it private to your ISP. They can't tell where you're going. Right, so it's not a bad thing um, at all to have it. So, uh, okay, let's move on to IDS and IPS. Absolutely. So um, these are the ways that um, we actively um, prevent uh, events, right? Um, detection and prevention are both ways uh, that, um, that you are checking uh, both live logs and then live traffic uh, for incidents. So intrusion detection is software that looks at all the events occurring in your logs and anywhere on your network that events are being collated and checks them for possible incidents. Like uh, they notice that this traffic is suddenly copying thousands of gigabytes yeah. across this pipe. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Very simple to say there's an intrusion occurring there, right? Right. Intrusion prevention is the, uh, the kind of the flip side of that where they're not uh, doing the scanning on the inside. It's also uh, deciding that as you start copying those gigs, uh, that that is going to be stopped. And that's not an allowed thing. We're not going to allow um, unregulated uh, large file transfers, right? right? And so it can actually prevent that from happening on your network if you set it up to do that. And then it would stop that event uh, as it occurs. So right. those are uh, rule-based uh, prevention. And yeah, the biggest thing to keep in mind, IDS watches and logs, whereas IPS also watches and logs and then uh, stops things takes from happening. Action. Yeah, it takes right. action. Exactly. So a lot of times, you know, IDS is really like the first thing that we're out in enterprises, it seemed. And then, you know, there are even separate appliances sometimes. And a lot of times I think a lot of these functions and features are built into the enterprise firewalls now, usually for right. a, a license cost to enable them. Um, but it's, I think they still have hardware appliances and software, things like Snort, right? We talked about earlier. Right. And a lot of times it's a good idea to separate your vendors regardless if the router offers it built in. Sometimes it's better to have multiple layers of security that are different vendors, right? Sure. So that way you're not going to rely on 
uh, a single ex, uh, single vendor that might fall prey to a big exploit. Right. So, and just to put in perspective, like I mentioned, how I use PFSense and Sericata, I it has Sericata basically is an IPS system or an NIDS, and what I have done is on my LAN. I watch all the traffic ID, IDS style, but I don't take action because I just want to know, oh, there's a weird Axin thing that got sent from a, this PC. Right. But the IPS side is active on the WAN side. It goes, hey, there's this known vulnerability or known IP that is a, is a targeted hacker, right? And he's trying to send and do port scans on you. So in my network, I actually use both IDS and IPS. Um, it's just when you're on the LAN, I don't want stuff happening in between my hosts. Um, so... That's why I choose to go the IDS route on my internal LAN. All right. Physical security. Physical security is super important. So what is it? So it basically describes the security measures that are designed to deny unauthorized access to facilities and resources, right? So um, these things can be things like uh, closed circuit television systems or IP cameras, security yep. guards, protective barriers, you know, you know mostly most data centers have cages around their racks. Yep. A lot Man of time traps on yeah. the way in. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh fall, you know windfall tra- or fall traps and uh um you know the ones that uh, drop uh, the netting on you, those good ones too. <laughs> uh but a lot of times those things have like RFID badge readers, right? Um, they have, uh, biometric scanning for, uh, your fingerprint to access the cage as well as maybe a RFID badge that has to be done over a certain time period. You know, yep. a, a simple thing like a lock on a door is a example of physical security. So as much as Micro, we, or, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Google just had, um, one of their, uh, was it the Titan key? It's their key that is a one-time password and a physical, uh, USB device. And this is what they have all their employees use for physical security, not just for uh, uh, servers and devices that have data on them, but for accessing their workstation as well. Mm -hmm. So they have to, when they go to log in, they have to put a USB key into the device itself. So there, boom, now it's something I have, right? And then something you know, which is the uh, password that you type in. But then they also do a one-time password as well on, on their mobile device, right? Multi-factor authentication. And that kind of physical security, said, uh, they've stated that they don't get hacked. It's almost impossible because you have to have so many parts of this uh, exchange uh, in order to per- impersonate uh, one of these people, one of these employees. Yeah, what is that thing called? It's Yubico. Uh, Yubico. Yeah, totally. Yubico. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Go look it up. It's a it's a security key. Yeah, you can buy them now. I think they're like twenty bucks. They're pretty cheap. Right. Uh, it's called the Titan Security Key, and if you Google it right now, uh, it's on Google Cloud, and they're fifty dollars. It comes with a uh, key ring dongle, as well as the ability to run the app and the USB key. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it is pretty neat. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more too when we get into multi-factor. But yeah, uh, it's pretty neat how. Uh, and it's well back to the topic of physical security. It's important to have both, right? You need to have the software and hardware in your data center, but also keep in mind is that you need to have guards. You need to have uh, limited access into your building so you don't get those other kind of attacks like we talked about, which is the breaches of people physically coming in and maybe dropping a Raspberry Pi on your open uh, network interface on your wall. So physical right. security is also very important. It's that whole process and procedure uh, facet of it as well, where you are writing down everyone that arrives at your facility, what time they're there, uh, what, when they leave, and, and uh, checking in guests as well. These are the kind of measures where if you do have a breach, you can then go look at those logs and identify who, lo- who the likely suspects are. Uh, this helps you at least help recover uh, faster, right? Right, totally. Cool, let's talk about security information and event management. So exactly. Yeah. So this is kind of the idea. So it's a segment in security management that deals with real-time monitoring, correlation of events, notifications, and console views. So what really don't think of this as like an IDS, although an IDS is mostly network focused. This mm-hmm. thing is a tool that a lot of times is hooked up to things like Hadoop and big data that allows you to basically get logs. So one of the first things you do 
and uh, security information and event management is data aggregation. The goal right. is all to the yeah, logs. all <laughs> the logs as much as you can eat is how much you want to take in because the more data right. you can get about what's happening in the applications around your uh, company, the, the easier it is to start to find these trends and uh, you can do cool things of like we talked about when you see a lot of data gets transferred, right? That could actually be a, a event management process that happens, right? So, um, you know, a lot of things we talk about, like also correlation. So common attributes, it can actually look at some of the, the data being flown across the network and see the things are, right. oh, this is like a social security number. Or this has a common, uh, you know, user account number and a phone number attached. What is this data being sent around the network? This is the tool that will identify if you're moving one gig a day, and but you're going to do it every day for a month. Right. And this is the tool that's going to say, hey, that guy never moved that data ever. But now he's moving a gig a day. We're noticing this in these logs. This is right. the kind of uh, a correlation of events you can get. And if you ever looked at firewall logs, they don't make much sense unless they you're looking for something There's very. So much data. If you're looking for something very particular, then it's great. Um, so uh, if it's if you don't really know what you're looking for, which is in large organization where there's a lot of stuff happening all the time, um, this tool is really uh, a necessity now to be able to see these events and these common occurrences. So oh, yeah. common things that this, these systems can do is they alert. So they can do things like email and SMS and uh, use APIs to external systems to be able to uh, prompt action, right? Hey, right. this guy, this guy Meep is transferring all this data. Uh, he does transfer hey. data a lot, but it's been yeah, 20 times more uh, than yeah. uh, normal. So maybe he's from that folder, you know, that protected folder. Yeah. <laughs> that one folder yeah. where all the sales data is. It's kind of funny. All his data is starting to get deleted from different systems too. So it's like, I wonder if he's on right. his way out. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Great. Uh, go, go move on to dashboards. Uh, yeah. So basically uh, the, uh, this the software is going to be able to update a dashboard. It'll have uh, things that you're tracking, some key performance indicators that you're interested in. This uh, software can help uh, identify uh, metrics that are going to update, and, and it'll switch over um, on the dashboard on the fly. Um, the other things that are required are things like compliance, right? You might be uh, regulatory uh, mandated to, to comply by uh, installing systems like this and that not only uh, prove that it's installed properly, but then get audited on a regular basis. These are the kinds of uh, things that uh, might get required. Right. Uh, so other things we do is uh, these systems do compliance. So a lot of times these are very uh, rule-based things. Uh, these systems are tough because there's a lot of um, initial architecture that has to be done. Right. Compliance. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then also, yeah, retention as well. All these all these things are great here. There's there's like topics on all these for days. Totally. Uh, so and forensic analysis as well. If you have a crime that occurs, someone steals data is a crime, right? And so you have to provide as much uh, discovery information as you can to law enforcement, this is where you'll be able to turn over uh, large amounts of data. Right. Okay, let's go on to DLP, okay. data loss prevention. You want to jump in or you want me to start? Oh, uh, yeah, let's do this here. Uh, data loss uh, is um, one of the types of uh, software um, protection for your network that are going to identify whether or not things have occurred. And like we said about uh, monitoring of, uh, traffic of transmission of data, as well as being able to uh, block data while in use. Um, so these are all kinds of things that are um, uh, things like Tripwire, right? These are sort of so software pieces that are seeing if you're attempting to go access a folder, right, on a network. It can log the audit uh, failure on the domain controller and then take action on that and, and maybe even uh, alert your uh, superior that you are not in a proper area that, or even trying to get into an area that you don't have access to. Totally. All right, we just got this fool out of the chat. Sorry about that. Old Johnny Sins. Peace out. Oh, 
Thanks for thanks for stopping by, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for stopping by. We'll see street. you again for a while. I don't think, oh, yeah. Johnny. Uh, you know what? Um, takes a yeah. Takes a lot of. People <laughs> I think he is going to burn in hell, Colt. I think you're right. <laughs> so, uh, so terms day loss and day leak. So they're interchangeable, right? So day loss incidents a lot of times turn to data leaks. So, yep. um, you know, a good example of data loss prevention is policies a company might do to prevent laptops from being stolen, right? So, right. Uh, how many, I don't know Scrubbing how many. Scrubbing of hard drives. Yep. So, uh, encryption on hard drives, right? All these yep. kind of things exist. So, uh, your company's uh, intellectual property does not get stolen because although it can be uh, lost, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it will leak, but usually that's the next possible step. Uh, unless it was just misplaced and hopefully someone's nice and returns it. So right. data loss and is... So now they yeah. have more controls even on data loss where not only um, will it be encrypted, but it could even destroy the data if it doesn't check in in a uh, timely manner. Yeah, so and like, that way yeah. it's like a dead man switch on, on the data. If you have a laptop that's extremely sensitive, you can have it uh, set up so that way um, unless it's um, actively in touch, then uh, it is a de- deemed lost. Right. And then like, you know, one of the biggest things to our phones, enterprises have all a bunch of management software now uh, in today's world where basically uh, they can remote wipe your phone, all these things. Right. Exactly. Um, so let's move on to multi-factor authentication. So uh, you start off the top one because you basically kind of got into it already with the idea of something being known and something yep. being possessed. Yep. So something you know and something you have, right? And also something else, uh, something that is shared. Is there? There's a third one. Um, but yeah, multi-factor authentication is where a password is just not good enough anymore. And so they're going to ask you um, to provide uh, something you uh, have as well, like a rotating key on your uh, Google Authenticator, sure, or um, like a. Uh, um, like phone number, a, right? Uh, SMS, key, right? SMS can be a... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another one. Uh, something you have. And then I th- think there was something else too. Um, oh, I guess maybe that's just it. Something you are. That's the third one. And that's basically uh, the biometric side of it, right? Something you are. Sure. Um, so those are the three uh, factors for um, proving that you are the, the person that you... Uh, say you are right and so this is a way so that way hackers just can't even uh actually use your password because it's useless to them they don't have the further authentication piece uh to uh to actually gain access right so like the example talks about a perfect example of a two-factor authentication go to the atm withdraw money right you got to have your card in your hand and you got to know the pin so you have something you possess the card and then you know something which is the pin right so those are as a good example of two-factor. You know, the biggest thing we want to get across with, with any kind of multi-factor authentication is that really it's important personally and in the enterprise to do these things for some basic things. So for a personal side, you got a Wells Fargo or a Vanguard account, get get two-factor set up at least, right? Do things like that. You got a Chase Bank or an online banking that you use, use multi-factor. Those things right. are just, they're, to to they're too important to, to leave up to a username and password. So um, it's really important to, to focus on those things. Maybe not everything. Maybe you're logged into Twitch. You don't need two-factor. Um, exactly. But, not, but, <laughs> but if uh, you start to become popular, you might want to, right? These are the kind of things where, uh, depending on the level of security you need, uh, if it's available, I would suggest going ahead and implementing it. Sure. And it's easy. I mean, a lot of times you can't log into systems now without being like, hey, you want to get that two-factor set up? We see that you haven't done it yet. I think eBay just reminded me the other day. So everyone's trying to get into it because really from a company aspect, the once you have multi-factor, the probability of, of having to deal with customer support issues, of, of losing your password and all these things go down substantially and people taking care over your account, right? So... It's a it's a very important thing. All yep. right, so let's move on to last topic of the night, 
which is penetration testing and third-party assessments. So I'll jump in the start. This will go great with um, the uh, chat here. Penetration testing <laughs> is basically uh, known as a pen test in the industry. Uh, it's when you um, either give some access or no access to a outside entity uh, to evaluate your security. Basically, what they'll do is take some time uh, to um, identify where they want to start. Maybe what they'll do is they'll start by scanning all the outside ports on your business um, and deliver you a report for the outside surface. Um, but maybe then um, you also require an internal scan. And the internal scan would give them access not to um, all the servers and passwords, but at least to all the ports and network switches within the environment. So they can scan um, all the IPs and all the ports and do a hard scan uh, that won't get blocked or turned off, right? These are the kinds of things where um, you want to identify if your IPS and your IDS see these guys doing this scan, right? These are right. all the kind of activities you can uh, add to gain value in this. And basically then at the end of it, they're going to wrap it up by delivering you a large report mm -hmm. saying we, we were able to uh, step in here, we were able to access data there, and we already have this password and this password, here they are. Right. These are the kinds of things you should expect from a pen test. Totally. And like, you know, a lot of times there's kind of two kinds. Well, mostly all these things should be done by a third party eventually. Penetration testing can be done internally. And I recommend if you have a team big enough or someone yeah. interested in doing security, do that, right? There's a lot of... Get out uh, of periodic there's like There's like Nessus, I think, is a, a really good one. It's expensive, but it's a whole suite that can do uh, SQL injection and all these different kind of exploit tests that are zero data, see if your applications are vulnerable to it. And uh, right. if you have the funds and the means to do that, do that first, try to remediate as much as you can, and then pay for a third party. A third party is most key because it really, even if something does happen to your organization, it's important to show that you've done your due diligence as an organization, right? right. To be able to say that you've done your best that you could have to prevent this kind of leak. So. Um, it's really important. And really, there's kind of two kinds. There's the kinds of penetration testing where they do internal and then external. A lot of times, like Lloyd Meep said, uh, they hand, hand you a report and go, we found this, this, and this. And then they'll usually give you an opportunity to fix it and then usually run another scan, uh, sometimes free of charge, just to show you yep. your before and after report. So those things are super important to do. And like I said, it really shows due diligence from a company that goes through, that goes through and uh, pays for assessment. It's really worth it. Yeah, not just uh, searching ports, not just doing scans. These are people that might uh, put on a backpack and have an RFID scanner in it, right? These are right. the kind of people that are going to think of all ways that you might get attacked and perform simulations of those attacks on you um, and, and, and thereby notating what happened and, and having that result so you can tighten up your security. Yeah, and it's wild. Like uh, we mentioned uh me and Lloyd had worked at a, a client site and yeah, they went all in and hired some, a company to come out and they basically were able to get through the security gates and they right. left raspberry pies and dropped the uh, thumb drives and stuff around the parking lot with viruses on them and not bad viruses, but ones that would report back to say that someone picked it up and plugged it in. So pretty wild. Exactly. Yeah. There is services out like that. So if you're at work you find some thumb drives around <laughs> or a weird, uh, don't touch yeah, it. <laughs> or at least bring it home and do it. Don't uh, plug it into your computer at home. Yeah. Cause you might get a, know what you're doing. Yeah. You might get a free plug it at home. Yeah. It would, oh, it would report yeah. back. <laughs> Not that I say you should plug it in, but uh, if you have a way to do it, that is something off the internet on a machine you don't right. care about. Safe in a sandbox, you you right. might be able to get a free four gig thumb drive, but yeah, most people don't, <laughs> don't plug it in most likely. Let's just suggest not plugging. And in. if you see uh, <laughs> random circuit boards plugged into walls, or it looks like a right. teddy bear, but it's got an Ethernet cable coming out of it, um, you might <laughs> want to tell Trump. somebody because uh, exactly something shady might be going on. <laughs>